Welcome to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast, a series of honest conversations about opportunities, challenges, and joy in ministry today. These episodes are inspired by interactions with ministry leaders from across the country as they explore possibilities, learn from broad perspectives, take risks, and cultivate candid discussions that generate disruptive creativity. Hello, this is Adam Mixon with the Ministry Collaborative. I'm sitting here with my friends, David Barnhart and my colleague, Adam Borneman. And we're going to talk a little bit about Dave's book entitled Church Comes Home. Dave is the pastor of the St. Junia House Church Network here in Birmingham, Alabama. He's ordained in the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church, and he's an earned Ph.D. in homiletics and social ethics from the Vanderbilt University. And Dave's kind of been on an adventure these last several years, establishing house churches here in Birmingham and in North Alabama. And some of the lessons he's learned, some of the insights that he's gathered are, I think, instructive, not just for those interested in church planning or the house church movement, but I think he's really speaking in ways that's relevant for the entire church, the capital C church, as to what we'll look like in this next generation. So we're going to spend some time talking with him about that and picking his brain and tapping into all that wisdom that he has. Dave, if you were going to tell us about your book in a few sentences from a 30,000 foot view, what would you say about it? So I'd say it's primarily a why one would do house churches and then secondly, how to do house churches. So the why I kind of go back and look at a little bit of the history and how I think house churches can be a good strategy for the coming century. Then I kind of go through a how to actually go about putting together a team and, and launching house churches uh, and then running them day to day. I'm glad that you started by saying that it's not so much the how or it's not a manual on establishing a house church, Mm -hmm. but it's more of a kind of exploring the whys of it. Yeah. Every decade or so, you'll see this thing that says, oh, the coming house church revolution. And I don't really think this is so much a revolution as one viable strategy among many, but I do think it's one that the church as a whole should pay a lot more attention to especially because it's a decentralized form of community building. Uh, There's a lot more of an egalitarian uh, leadership structure. I think it's very versatile. And uh, frankly, I think it just does discipleship better. Dave, there's a section in your book here that speaks to everything you just described. And I want to read just a few sentences of this for our listeners and have you expand on it. You wrote, The Ecclesia expresses the heart of God. The last will be first, the prisoners will go free, the wounded will be healed, the creation will be made whole. Human beings and human community are methods the Holy Spirit uses to accomplish these purposes. When institutions fail to be the church, which happens so often, God is still God. And somewhere outside of the institutions that often serve the powerful, kicked out people rise up to be the ecclesia as God intended. This is why I still believe, in spite of so many things, that God continues to use the invisible church to work out salvation in this world. House churches are a signifier of that divine movement of moving outside in order to create a new inside, of intentionally moving toward those outside the walls. We move to the margins in order to find where Christ is truly the center. I've read that several times, and there's so much to think about there. I love how you phrased it. Could you say more about that section? Sure, thanks. Yeah. 
people often use that phrase, the institutional church, and I don't think they're very clear on what institutions are. When I think about institutional church, I think about more than just denominations. I think about publishing companies and the academy and parachurch organizations. Our superpower as human beings is organizing socially. We create power structures and ways of making decisions, and but frequently those things become crystallized and they start excluding people. So institutions, just like the rest of human creation, has fallen. And so I think there's a consistent move to the outside to rejuvenate, reform, change up, express differently what that kingdom of God looks like, so that there is this sort of constant move to the outside. The outsiders are the insiders, and the insiders are the outsiders. And we see that flip-flop in the Gospels, and I think that's, um, that's part of the key to that continual renewing of institutional life. That makes me think about something that you said in the book. Establishing a house church is more akin to community organizing Mm -hmm. than it is to what we typically think about when we think about church planting. Mm -hmm. And that got me to thinking about some of the other comments you made in your book as how this house church movement can be a type of disruptor, Mm -hmm. in particular around areas of justice and equity. Well, so uh, this is another situation where often you hear the phrase organized religion, and I really think organizing religion is something that we need. If you're not organizing, someone's organizing against you. When I look at what Jesus did, he was an organizer. He got people together. He taught them. The saying among community organizers is organizers teach and uh, leaders organize. And so you're teaching leaders, you're discipling people to do the work. The organizer is really the person who's teaching. Uh, The leader is how to do the work. I really see that as being sort of the model of discipleship in the New Testament. And that's kind of what I envision house churches to be. So you've got a smaller group. You're demonstrating with your life and your hospitality in these sort of intimate groups what that community should look like. And if you're going to be a community of grace, it should be a little reflection of what justice looks like in the bigger picture. So you should be talking about issues of white supremacy and racial oppression and patriarchy, right? And you should be undoing them in your lived practice in that group. One of the big things with when we think of church planting, it's usually find your affinity group and go after them. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's important, but that's really much more geared around marketing and reaching people and putting butts in seats and growing a successful business, because you do need that to have an income and survive. Whereas I really see house churches more like, you know, you're a community organizer. You're going and you're getting people who are affected by the powers and principalities of this world. You're gathering them together to figure out how we can live in a different way. So I really see that being more like organizing than church planting. So it's less of an attractional model and more of kind of a alternate Mm -hmm. way of being. Yeah. I talked about institutions a minute ago, but I went to church planting boot camp before I became a church planter. And they taught some wonderful skills. I think it's very valuable. But one of the things I think we have to realize, and I think there's a growing awareness in church, that among the many theological distortions we've experienced, there's a reliance on capitalism and business models for institutional success. So, you know, you go to church planning boot camp and they teach you how to make a pitch to 
uh, venture capitalists, doing fundraising among rich people. I'm going to acknowledge that's important if you want to create a successful institution, but I also don't think that's necessarily the best way to preach the gospel, you know, the best way to embody what the gospel's after. Dave, based on your experiences, what institutional assumptions should have the biggest question marks next to them right now? I think our notions of sustainability need to be questioned. Denominations have been looking for people to plant churches because they want to maintain their funding source. And, you know, just like I think everyone's labor needs to be compensated fairly, so I definitely like eating, and I think having (laughs) money is important. But the way that we've looked at church planting, for example, has been, you know, we need to create self-sustaining communities. And usually self-sustaining means providing a salary for a full-time pastor and staff. And if that's your organizing principle, then you've already foreclosed certain ways of doing ministry. Mm. You've, you've essentially said, and this is what you know the Method, United Methodist Church has done for a long time, let's go plant in a white flight community, a growing suburb, and that's going to maximize your success potential. It's hard to argue with that, <laughs> but I think it's a pretty lousy model for doing ministry. It seems to me, Dave, that your commitment to the house church movement is in some ways a type of protest Mm. against the power dynamics, the economy. Mm -hmm. And as to your earlier point, this idea of sustainability Mm -hmm. that's kind of baked into institutional church models, which is very interesting to me because in my particular context, I've been a bivocational pastor for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the assumptions that I, you know, hear some of my colleagues making are in some ways assumptions I've never made. Right. So a whole lot of your book resonated with me in my present context, even though I am not a house church pastor, Mm -hmm. but I do serve a church in a neighborhood that economically couldn't support what would be called a full-time pastor or whatever. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this whole idea of moving from kind of this clergy-centered model where there's professional clergy to this lay-led Mm-hmm. That's very compelling to me. And I wonder if that's one of the lessons, one of the gifts that you might offer to the broader church for folks who are not necessarily going to go out and establish house churches, but are working in context sure. similar to the one that I'm laboring in. Yeah. That's very helpful. When I started my ministry pathway, I was really attracted to academia. And um, I went and got a PhD, in part because I saw myself as a company man. You know, I'm part of the institution and really thought I could carry out ministry and help the church by being in academia. So there's a certain personal irony to this in that I'm now I'm aspiring to be bivocational. <laughs> Among the professional circles, that's often looked down on. Exactly. In uh, the Methodist church, we have, you have ordained elders and licensed local pastors. And this isn't, isn't this distinction, but frequently, if you're ordained, the idea is you're doing full-time ministry. And yet by the time, if you are the pastor of a, a senior pastor at a large church, one of the most frequent complaints is you don't actually have time to do ministry in the community because you're in the office all the time. Wow. So I feel like there are these traps of professionalism that we get stuck in that keep us from doing the kind of ministry that needs to be done. Dave, on that point about the ministry that needs to be done, 
if you had a megaphone and you could just reach every pastor in the country right now, what would you tell them about ministry in the 21st century? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hold on and let go, uh, or let go and hold on. I think things are changing so quickly. Everything's on the table, just like Phyllis Tickle talks about in her book, The Great Emergence. Like, Hmm. There's this big cultural rummage sale going on. Uh, We're questioning capitalism, we're questioning religious institutions, we're questioning our forms of political governance, our media. This is like when Gutenberg started the printing press, you know, we have the internet, now everything's on the table. (laughs) And I think we're just going to have to be super flexible and revision what it means to be a vocational pastor in the coming years. Climate change, looking at massive migration and the way that the church has been complicit in climate change and exploitive economies, we're going to have a lot of atoning to do and a lot of revisioning of how we want our community life together to look. Yeah. That phrase, ministry that needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that speaks to me particularly because I think so often the job or the title gets in the way of the work. Mm-hmm. Or and sometimes that institutional tag mm-hmm. gets in the way of the work, which is one of the things that I've admired about your work here in, in Birmingham, Dave, is how in some ways you're unfettered mm-hmm. and you are able to give yourself to ecumenism in a way that is really constructive. But really, honestly, it looks kind of strange to a whole lot of folks. <laughs> So how how do you uh, keep your balance, being kind of free Mm -hmm. and unfettered, but also at the same time realizing that you still need to negotiate relationships with these institutions to really get traction? How how do you do that? Yeah, it's definitely a balancing act. I mean, I have to say I speak in this sort of anti-institutional language, and the institution has been really good to me. I've been very supported. I was able to start a church. Part of it is it points to how desperate the denomination and the institution are for this greater connection to that kind of ecumenical work. There's a a need for this life-giving infusion of material, of blood from outside in. Mm. Finding that place where there can be this exchange from the outside to the center and back. Dave, what resources have been formative for you and what would you recommend to others who are listening? Well, I tell you right now, two books that are fantastic to me right now. One is The Christian Imagination by Willie Jennings, in which, you know, he's going back and looking at sort of these theological distortions that have happened historically. The other one is Robin Wall Kimmerer's Braiding Sweetgrass, which I think uh, she's writing from a indigenous woman's perspective. And I just think that's a voice that Christians need to hear, especially Christian leaders which is also about a connection to the land and to this reciprocity, a different way of thinking about communities and ethics and how we engage these multiple crises we face from someone who's part of a culture group and ethnic group who's seen a lot more than I have, you know? I feel like these are both sources of wisdom for me that help me think historically and in the moment. Dave Barnhart, The Church Comes Home. This book is a gift. Not just to those who are interested in starting a house church network, but I think it's a gift to the broader body of Christ. David, thank you for writing this book, man. Thank you, David. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Ministry Collaborative Podcast. 
a project of the Macedonian Ministry Foundation. The Ministry Collaborative nurtures a national network of pastors and congregations committed to faithful, creative, and courageous engagement in their communities. Our producer is Marthane Sanders. To find out more about our work of cultivating leadership that makes a difference in congregations and communities, visit our website at www.ministrycollaborative.org.